0: Honey, it's your favorite time of year again. That's right, the Noonies are back, the internet's most democratized awards. So head over to Noonies.tech because there are $60,000 worth of prizes to be won. And shout out to one of our sponsors, Bybit, who is one of the fastest growing cryptocurrency exchanges out there today. So head over to nunis.tech to nominate your favorite techie of the year and get ready to do some voting.
1: The world is pretty much what she remembers. All burnt up and pallid, like someone came along with a sponge and soaked up all the colour and the moisture too, and left everything grey and bone dry. But she's glad to be back. She's missed the structures of man, which are pretty wondrous when you put your mind on them. Those tall brick buildings with all their little rooms and closets and doors, like ant colonies or wasps nests, when you open their paper shells. She was in Orlando once when she was little. And she remembers standing at the bottom of this terrific tall building and thinking that civilization's got some crackerjack people working for its furtherance, and kicking at the base of the building with her foot to see if the whole thing would topple over, and seeing that it didn't and never would. Hello everyone, welcome to another Hacker Noon podcast. I'm here today with a special guest named Josh, who writes under the pen name of Alden Bell, the author behind the zombie novel series The Reapers Are the Angels and Exit Kingdom. Josh has also written novels outside of the zombie genre, such as Hummingbirds and When We Were Animals. Thanks for uh, coming on today, Josh.
0: A pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: So uh, to begin, uh, if you wouldn't mind, could you tell us a bit about your road to becoming a published author, which I'm sure a lot of aspiring novelists would love to hear? Yeah,
0: (laughs) well... (laughs) It is a long and and difficult road and I think has a lot to do with luck uh, as much as anything else. You know, I started, I started writing stories when I was a little kid um, and I was reading a lot of Stephen King at the time. And we're talking, you know, fourth grade, fifth grade or something. I was reading Stephen King way earlier than I should have Stephen King and Clive Barker. And I was really going through this horror phase and and I would write these short stories that were that I would turn into my classes that were purposefully meant to gross out my teachers and make them concerned about my psychological state, you know. <laughs> um, and and that's where it started. I loved seeing the reactions that I could get from people through my writing, and I just continued to do that. Um, uh, and I would write. I, and I started writing longer form things. Uh, you know, I think I, I finished my first novel in my last year of high school. I mean, it was garbage, but the fact that I could write so much is what, you know, is it was really the goal. I wanted to write something long. Mm-hmm. Um, And I, I mean, I never expected that to be published. And of course, obviously it wasn't. But it also, I think, uh, was very good for me because... I I set the standard for myself that I could write something like a novel and for it not to be published, and I continued simply to write novels and for them not to be published. And I think that was the best way for me to actually learn how to write a novel because, you know, I just kept doing it, and yeah. and eventually I got lucky enough that someone was interested in representing me, an agent, and uh, you know, then it kind of everything fell into place from there.
1: But, um, yeah. Yeah. Out of um, curiosity, the writing of the novels in full and not publishing them, um, was it that you weren't even sending them to be published or they just weren't good enough at the time?
0: Yeah. I mean, early on, I, I wouldn't even bother sending them. I knew they were crap and I and I knew that no one would be interested in them. And, um, I, you know, I'd be thrilled if anyone read them, but no one wanted to read them. Why would you? You know, it's <laughs> they were just nonsense. I see. But it was, but I I think that was really valuable. I think, I think one of the, one of the problems that people have with becoming writers is they write one thing and if it doesn't get published, they kind of give up, you know, like they're out. (laughs) Yeah. And if you really, if you want to be, uh, if you want to be uh, successful or even published, I think you have to be able to write things simply for your desk drawer. And free to be okay with that. I mean, I still, I you know, I, I'm writing novels all the time. I have four published, but I I've written, I don't know, 20 or something. Wow. Like I wow. I, have, yes. I I continue to write novels that are not published. I write one a year, you know. And oh, still the, the vast majority of them, nothing ever happens with them. You know, my, my mother reads them, my girlfriend reads them, you know, it's <laughs> and so yeah. you have to be okay with that idea. I think. Uh, yeah.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, one of the year, that's great. I think that's Stephen King's uh, output, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, his get published, but you know, <laughs> so, so that's good. Uh, so yeah.
1: as a writer or, you know, as any trade, it's, it's uh, best to find a job that, people say you should find a job that you would do for free. And do you find that just for your love of writing, that keeps you going with um, all of the novels that don't get published, just the act of writing out a novel in full, you still find fulfillment in that just as the uh, like trade as the
0: craft itself. Yeah. Real fulfillment, real fulfillment in, in, completing something, completing a chapter and completing a, a novel. I actually don't get any pleasure out of the writing process itself. I know a lot of people talk about that, how they just really, they, they can't wait to get to the to get to the keyboard and start writing. Mm. And I mean, I never feel that way. For me, it's more like exercise or therapy in the sense that I never want to do it, but I know I'll feel good afterwards. And so that's wow. kind of that's how I feel about writing. Like I'm never in the mood to write, but I know on a day in which I've written, I'll feel really good at the end of that day. I'll feel like I've accomplished something. I'll feel like, you know, really proud of myself. So it's more about having something, having something to accomplish. I think.
1: That's incredibly interesting, especially for someone who's been published four times. I wasn't expecting to hear that.
0: I know right well, it's really you know um I, I find that the right I find that the the, the 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 people I know who are who are who are very successful. They treat it, they treat writing almost like a job. You wouldn't think that, but they treat it like a job. Like they get up in the morning and they go to work writing. They don't want to write. They, they don't look forward to it. It's like, oh my God, what am I going to do today? And it's like, a, it's, it's like an office job, essentially. Maybe a better, than, better than some. But uh, the, ones who are, the ones who are, I mean, more successful than I am too, are the, are, seem to be the ones who really have a very business mind about it. Got
1: it, got it. Very cool. Well, why don't we move on to your success, which is uh, how I got to know you and your novel, The Reapers Are the Angels. So could you start by telling us why you chose the apocalyptic genre?
0: So uh, that was really inspired by, by, it has two different sources of inspiration, one of which was um, as you're talking about like the, the post-apocalyptic zombie genre, which I've always been fascinated by, not so much by books that I've read about it, because I haven't read that many books. I haven't read many zombie books and I, ha- I haven't even read many post-apocalyptic novels other than maybe Stephen King's The Stand, something like that. Um, but really more so, I was inspired by movies and by George Romero movies. Uh, so Night of the Living Dead, um and dawn of the dead in particular have you seen dawn of the dead
1: i haven't seen the older zombie uh, movies i'll have to admit (laughs) are you talking are you talking about the like the remake though of them in the mall
0: no well the the the, the, that (laughs) is a remake of the original george romero film from i think like 1978 or something like that um but it's uh, i love the original The, the remake is very good too um, but yeah, the one about them in the mall, that was that was something. Check out the original when you have a chance. It, okay. It's fascinating. And his pace is really different from a lot of other uh, horror movies and later zombie movies. I was kind of inspired by that. And then I was also inspired by Southern Gothic novels, like what you're talking about, Cormac McCarthy, Daniel Woodrell, Tom Franklin. They're all these wonderful writers of the Southern Gothic. Um, and I always thought, uh, I thought that would be a great style to apply to that, that particular genre, you know, the Southern Gothic, the 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 big epic style sentences combined, you know, and, but very dark combined with the the genre of the the post apocalypse and the zombie world, and so that's really those were the two influences that came together in 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 these two books that I wrote,
1: and um, normally when I find. People who write in genre, I would I would expect them to write just in that genre. But obviously, you don't because you have the novels outside of the zombie genre. What about the apocalypse, post-apocalyptic genre, or the zombie genre itself attracted you to write a story within it? What uh, what what like strengths of the genre do you create a good story in your mind?
0: So you know, I was I felt like I wanted to write something in the genre because I felt like the things that I was always fascinated by in the zombie genre were not the things that people talked about or they were not the things that um, uh, that were highlighted, especially in later uh, zombie movies too, like 28 Days Later or something like that. What I was always really fascinated about, especially with George Romero films, is that there was this fascination with the, the, the potential of a of a decimated world not the there was not a, a fixation on the disaster of the decimated world there's a fixation on the potential for the regrowth of the decimated world what i loved about dawn of the dead is you had this wiped out mall crawling with dead people and the way george romero saw that is almost like a kind of a fantasy wish fulfillment. If you could lock the doors and clear out all the zombies, guess what? You're living in a shopping mall, which is like the fantasy of every 10 year old, you know? Like, oh man, I wish I could have this place all on my own. You get a little bit of that in of that later zombie movie, um, Zombie Land or something. The idea that my God, if I could just shut down Disneyland and just be at Disneyland myself, wouldn't that be amazing? And I love that some of these, po- these post apocalyptic um, stories they hinted at that a little the idea of the fun the potential for, for what you could do in this barren landscape not just the misery but but the but the um, the thrilling excitement of being out in you know being in a, in a in an urban landscape but it's also a wilderness. And so I really wanted to highlight that. And so, you know, I created a character who was much more comfortable out in this wilderness than in some kind of, you know, uh, some kind of new society or something like that.
1: For sure. And um, all of those elements make for a good story from a writer's perspective, but not just about novels, let's say films, TV. What do you think about the genre attracts the readers and the audience itself? Because the success of, not only your novels, but The Walking Dead, The Black Summer, The Dawn of the Dead films, the remakes, there's obviously something about it that attracts the masses, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And you hinted at it a bit with the idea of um, you owning the world, you know? You can go to a shopping mall and grab whatever you want, but are there other parts of the genre you think are just uh, inherently attractive to us?
0: I think, uh, you know, I think uh, if you think about other monsters, if you think about monster genres, Zombies are kind of they're not kind of they they are unique in the sense that they're 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 not individual i mean you never see a zombie movie about one zombie. <laughs> Zombies are not a creature; they are a situation and and I think that makes them unique in the pantheon of monster films um where where i love the idea that even just one zombie is not that much of a threat i like the idea that zombies are only really a threat in packs i'm well it's it's one of the reasons why i like the earlier manifestation of zombies the slow zombies because as soon as you hit these fast zombie movies then one zombie is a threat i feel like for me that takes away the uniqueness of the zombie uh, genre but I, i i think for a lot of people that is part of the fascination that The stories also, they don't have personalities. They're they're not like vampires. They're not like werewolves, you know? They don't have personalities. They're just a background. And I think that is very interesting to people too. And it it highlights the human stories that take place in the foreground. Um, So the zombie threat is always just a situation. It's always a background. And it allows for, I think, more human stories.
1: I agree, totally agree. And um, as part of the genre, I think, uh, you know, any reading or any film watching, part of it is the escapist aspect of it. And what's more like escapist than a post-apocalypse where no one else is there, right? Do you think that um, you wrote this with that in mind? And do you also think that people like the genre because of the strong um, escape it can provide?
0: You know... I think it's certainly something that I am fascinated by, but I'm also very much an introvert. I'm also very much the idea of being alone in a shopping mall sounds great to me. I think there, I know a lot of people for whom that would be a nightmare. Um, But uh, you know, I think for a lot of people, that idea of I remember the original Walking Dead poster from the first season was one guy on a horse riding down an empty freeway toward Atlanta or something like that. Right. And that was the poster. And I think it's that, I think it is that, that sense of, of, you know, like being alone in a vast landscape. That's very appealing to a lot of people, especially, I mean, I don't know. You're in Tokyo. I'm in New York. The idea of being away from mobs of people, I, I think, is very appealing to, to certain people, given their situations. You know, everyone I see on the subway every day would, would kind of love to be in a, a post-apocalypse.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Very interesting. And um, we both have a shared love for Cormac McCarthy's The Road. And um, that's often hailed as one of the most depressing books of all time but I remember the first time I finished reading it for the first time, I, I felt that it was strongly about hope. But It was pretty much a book that was about hope in a hopeless world. Mm. Um, with your own book, do you try to inspire such themes that are like common in the post-apocalyptic genre or what themes or uh, elements did you want to inspire in the Reapers? So
0: I, I think that that's a really interesting point. Um, for when when I read Cormac McCarthy both The Road and Blood Meridian which is my favorite there's this there's this I always get this sense again it's a very gothic sensibility very southern gothic sensibility you get it in Faulkner too that there is an inevitability to these things there's an inevitability to war there's an inevitability to violence and that there's no point in trying to counter it So uh, when I read Cormac McCarthy, I think, I don't know if I think hope, but I think there's this, there's this acceptance of what the universe is and, and there's no, there's no, he doesn't allow for magical thinking about seeing it any other way but that if you can accept if you can acknowledge that 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 the the that the universe is violent that the universe is, is is you know that death is inevitable that war is inevitable that violence is inevitable then you can then you can live in that world in in a content way right so my book is very much again i don't know if i would call it optimistic but what i would say is that it's all about the human potential to to be at peace with uh with thing with horrors and to and to so at peace with horrors that you no longer see them as horrors you know my main character in this book it doesn't doesn't have anything against zombies in her mind they're doing what they do you know, you might as well blame a, a a lion for eating somebody. It's what a lion does. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not evil. They're not, they're just a situation. And so I think I, I really admire her as a character, not for her hope, but for her ability to accept the world and adapt to the world, uh, no matter what that is.
1: That's a very interesting you brought up that point because my next question to you was a bit about your character inspirations, specifically with uh, Moses Todd, and I think uh, a lot of him just kind of uh, you, you kind of spoke from his voice there, because uh, the entire, at least the second half of the novel, most of it is about this chase between Moses and Temple, but um, at the same time, throughout many times in the book, Moses uh like talks about his respect for this person that he's trying to kill and is the it, it was a very weird dynamic that I haven't seen really in in other novels about revenge or things like that and um was that the aspect you're going with his inspiration the fact that this is a guy who just believes these are the rules of the world and maybe he didn't even like his brother that much but he does have to follow those rules
0: absolutely and and there are rules also that are that he's created right i mean one of the other aspects of the post-apocalypse is there are no more societal standards there i mean you have characters who are living in the wilderness there's no there are no structures there are no laws this is this is a lawless frontier land right and so unless you create your own ideology, unless you create your own sense of purpose, unless you create your own standards, you're not going to have anything. There's no purpose at all. And so I'm dealing with characters who have created their their own sense of God. You know, it's not a traditional Christian or, or, or Judaic or right sense of God. It's their own interior sense of God. These are characters who come up with their own standards and their own sense of purpose and their own internal laws. And because they're internal laws, they have to follow them. Because if the, if those laws, if they're not following those laws, they have to they have to acknowledge the meaninglessness of everything, right? And so, in Moses's mind, this girl killed my brother. I have to kill her. It's not it's nothing personal. She probably had every right to kill my brother. But if I don't do this, then. I have to give up my entire sense of purpose, and I can't do that. And so there really is this sense of these characters acting based on their own unique sense of purpose and respecting each other for doing so. Temple herself does not object to Moses trying to kill her. She gets it. She says, I, she says, I understand. I don't want you to, and I'm going to <laughs> try to keep you from killing me, but I get it. And I respect that, and I think they really do respect each other for their own personal senses of of, of um, ideology.
1: And uh, I really love what she did with the last scene there. And obviously, spoiler alert! But I assume if somebody's watching this podcast, they'll have read the book. Um, at the end, when um, she she end up does she ends up not dying by his hand, and uh, it's kind of like. Um, no, I wouldn't say like anticlimactic because of that. It's very climactic and it's because um when you read the novel, you can kind of it kind of feels like it, it doesn't sound like it's um a killer who's watching his prey die. It almost sounded like a father watching his daughter die. Yeah. And uh, the the power of that um contrast was uh, very striking and I really liked it.
0: Thank you. I I um yeah. the I mean, it's so, right. real spoiler alert here, right? Yeah. I mean, but yeah. uh, it is, I find it very heartbreaking too. And I would even say it is purposefully anticlimactic because you have this struggle between these two big figures throughout the book. And for that struggle to end, not with one killing the other or one sparing the other, but with someone else entirely, a minor figure inserting themselves into this and and, and then killing one of those figures it seems so wrong. And I think that's what Moses is upset about too. You know, like, oh, wait, this was not how she was supposed to die. This is not a death that respects her as a character. This is not a death that respects what she stood for. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he thinks that she it, it would have been a kind of honor uh, to, to her to be killed by him that there was something right about that. But not for some other idiot girl to kill her, to kill her right? that was so wrong that i think he's just outraged by that yeah
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, if you don't mind i'd like to ask a few um specific questions about your writing choices throughout the novel at yeah, so, least as somebody who's written a zombie novel I, I hope it'll be published i don't know if it'll be as successful as yours one um thing you have to address is what you're going to call the zombies and whether you yeah. use the word zombie because it kind of breaks the fourth wall. And now we're accepting everyone in the world is accepting the existence of zombies. And right. you went with the word meat skins. And I was just wondering why you chose that. So,
0: <laughs> you know, I, that actually, um, it's not a word that I came up with. It's a, it's a, it's a word that of all places, it comes from, Uh, this book by Zora Neale Hurston called Their Eyes Were Watching God, which is this great piece of Southern literature from from the first half of the 20th century. It's a wonderful book. It's very sweet. And uh, I mean, and, you know, and at one point, someone just uses that term to talk about human beings. You know, they're just, they're just meat skins playing around the toes of time. And, and, and there's no zombies in that book, but I just love that as an expression for human beings that were just skins of meat. And I thought, I thought that's a good name for, <laughs> that's a good name for zombies, but it's also, cause it's also a good name for human beings. And, you know, it's, it's one of the actually many references to Southern literature in the book. So, um, so that's actually where that term came from.
1: Very cool. And uh, another thing I thought of that um, you have in this book, that's, very uncommon in the genre. I'm pretty sure it's the first time I've ever seen it. You have um, this group of humans that actually are eating the zombies to survive. I don't think I've ever seen any other film or book in the zombie genre do that. And I was wondering uh, where that came from, or if you just decided to do that randomly, or what the purpose behind that was.
0: Well, so when, yeah, I think whenever you, you probably felt this too, when you were writing yours, whenever you Write something in a in a pre-existing genre that has a lot of stories associated with it, you feel some obligation to try to find some new angle on this, you know, even if it's just a little thing. So that was that was one I thought, well, you know, maybe there are hunters out there who are hunting zombies. And why couldn't you eat zombie meat? You know, probably doesn't taste great, but if you cook it right, whatever. So I just thought that was that was going to be my contribution. The other contribution I wanted to include, which I did very briefly, was I'd never seen zombies defecating before. And so oh, yeah. I, I included a little scene of that because I thought, well, they eat, they've got, you know, what is it, it, just, it can't just stay in there. Um, so that was my other proud contribution to the genre. <laughs> defecating zombies.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, I hear a lot of people talk about... Uh, how long it takes to write novels, my creative writing teacher um, she published this novel while I was uh, in her class, and she told us she 'd been re- writing it for ten years. How long hmm. did it take you to write the Reapers?
0: It took me about a year all the all wow. the books take me about a year um, it 's You know, I, but I I mean, I'm a, I'm a high school teacher, so I, I have summers off and I get most of my writing done in the summer. And then I just kind of finish it up at the beginning of the year. And that's, that's kind of my pattern. Um, But I really force myself to, you know, I do a quota of pages every day during the summer, you know, and I just write six pages a day, five days a week. So it's 30 pages a week. And, yeah, I just force myself to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, if I, I find if I approach it that way, then I can get through a book.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, another big decision you made, a creative decision you made, you chose not to show the patient zero. You chose not to show like the, the reason behind this zombie outbreak and what caused it. Um, I'm, I'm just uh, curious to hear your thoughts about why you went with that decision or if it just came to you
0: you know what, it's, it has become more common. But if you, if you uh, treat yourself to those original George Romero films, it's something that he actually, he, he, I got that from him. We do not see the patient zero. This thing just starts happening and people speculate about it. But I, I really love watching those movies because you can tell as a, as a director and as a storyteller He's not interested in in what started this, you know, it it almost gets to the point where, where you feel you have to do it because, because you have to have an explanation. But I love the idea that you don't, you know, it's just a, it's just a formula, make up whatever you want, you know, It, it doesn't matter, uh the toxic chemical war, the, the moon too close to the atmosphere. It almost, it's like, it doesn't matter. You know, fill that in as a as a reader. That's not an interesting thing. Then it never was interesting to me too, I found in, in other zombie movies. I really didn't care how the zombies got to be zombies. And so I got just kind of followed my own, you know, I, I wrote to myself as the audience there. And I think that's the best thing you can do in anything you write too, is write the book that you would like to read.
1: Mm-hmm. totally agree i totally agree and, and i agree with um like the idea of patient zero or what caused this thing in the beginning um it's not that interesting and you, as a writer you kind of just want to get into what is interesting to you because if it's not interesting to you how's it going to be interesting to somebody else you know right
0: right exactly
1: and uh talking more about writing in general why is writing important to you
0: um uh i i think in part i i I live a very i live a very very internal life and i think a lot i think everybody does to a certain degree um but i have you know i've always been a kind of an introvert i always uh, you know and i always feel like i have i have whole worlds going on in my brain that that i don't really communicate to a lot of people outside myself um so, for example, you know, I'll write these books and I don't really talk about them to anybody. And I have friends who will say you're publishing another book and you wrote this. You know, we were having dinners. We were we were going out together. We were going to Disney World. And, you know, you never talked about any of this. Right. Like this was going on in your brain that whole time. And I'll say, yeah, yeah, you know? like I feel like I have this real this real internal um uh this real internal world that i think this is the only place for it the, pa- the the page is the only place for it um and so in part it's to get something out of me that is in there that i want to at least record um and in part it's also i think because i love reading and i love stories and i love watching movies and I think people become writers and filmmakers and musicians because they, they consume art and they think, ooh, I love that so much. I wanna be on the inside of it. I don't wanna just be consuming it. I wanna be doing it, right? I, I would read books and I think, this book is changing my life. I, I love consuming it. But also, man, if I could produce something like that, that would be amazing um so I think it's the I think it's a kind of a logical progression from just being a a a real passionate consumer of art that you eventually begin to want to make
1: sure for sure and I think um at least personally I feel that way about your book as well like I read this and I thought okay there is somebody here who is trying to um I would say write literary zombie but more importantly like write a zombie novel that's good in itself, not just it's a zombie novel and therefore people aren't going to read it because people like zombies. You know
0: what I mean? Well, that's very nice. Thank you. Yeah. And that, I, I, that, that, uh, I appreciate that particularly because, yeah, I see it as a Southern Gothic literary novel more than I see it as a zombie novel. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree.
1: So one question I've been uh, wanting to hear, of course, is what is it like being a writer in 2021? Is it everything that the biographies of Stephen King and Nicholas Sparks and all these big names said it would be? Is it the dream come true that was promised to us?
0: Well, uh, you're asking the right person because I'm right up there with Stephen King and Ms. Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> I mean, well, let's, let's be honest. This is a, a, My experience is very different from those two. Right? Um, you know, it's to have a book with your name on it is so gratifying and to just get those copies in the mail and to, and to have people write to your website as you did, uh, you know, and to say, I-, I liked your book. There, there's something so immensely gratifying about that. It's, it's a really beautiful experience and to see something of yours come to fruition and to be out there in the public is, is kind of amazing. Um, it is, uh, it is, on the other hand, constantly um, disappointing and frustrating and uh, you really have to endure rejection, right? Like, you know, I am very proud of the four novels that I had published, but you realize that with those four novels published, I endured the rejection of 20, right? And so... And so and, and even after I started publishing, you know, I think people have this sense you publish one novel, then you publish the next one, and the next one. No, I've written like 10 novels since my first one and I've had three others published, right? So it's still a situation where I write these novels and they're rejected and they're rejected and every novel that I write is like starting over again, you know. I, I, you don't feel like you're making any progress in the publishing world. It it can be very discouraging and If if I were in it for the money, if I were in it for the success, if I were in it for the recognition, I would have been out of it a long, long time ago. So for me, it is immensely gratifying, but it only really works if I would be doing it anyway, which I would. I would be writing these things anyway, whether they got published, whether they, you know, whether I got to do podcasts about them or not, I would be doing this anyway, the fact that I get to do this stuff is wonderful. It's really, really nice.
1: I have a, a few questions about that. And uh, one personal one is, when do you decide that, okay, I've uh, I've written this novel, I've, I've sent it to a few publishers, it's been rejected, whatever amount of times, now it's time to move on. How do you make that decision where something you spent months or longer than writing, it's time to just let go of it and let it be in your drawer rather than? try to improve it, try to send it to another publisher? How do you make that big decision?
0: Well, generally, honestly, that's a that's a, a decision that your agent makes. In other words, for the most part, you are not sending your, your manuscript to publishers. Uh, you are sending your manuscript to agents. And the agent, if an agent picks you up, they will take over the process of sending it to publishers. And then the agent will tell you, We've sent this to enough publishers. Uh, this one's not going to go. What else do you have? <laughs> that's, a, that's a heartbreaking conversation to have, but yeah, I've had it yeah. a, a lot in my life. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And I mean, if you are sending it to publishers on your own, first of all, that's, that's going to be much more difficult and you are going to get a lot of rejection. And then you eventually, I think, just kind of, you know, you do kind of give up on that book and you start the next one, you know, if you, you, you just think, all right, let me, let me write another one. Let's see if that one does better. And then, you know, you write another one after that. Um, and you'll, I always thought, well, maybe I'll come back to these. Maybe I'll come back to these. Once I become immensely successful, I'll have 20 books here ready to go. Um, and maybe yeah. that'll be the case one day. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> I, I'm keeping My fingers crossed. That would be great if that worked. <laughs> yeah. This
1: is a, a two-part question, and the first part is: Are there any plans to make a movie of the Reaper
0: series? So, you know, it was—it's been optioned a couple times, um, though. I, I think you know, frequently books are these books are optioned, and nothing is ever done with those options. Though currently, it is—it is, it is uh, optioned by. Um, by Aisha Tyler, who is uh, a wonderful actress um, and uh, she's uh, she's a director. She's just kind of this, uh, you know, uh, master of all media. And she is being very active in the process of, of uh, she would like to turn these books into, I think, a streaming series. Um, and so she is she's working on it. She's working hard on it. Um, but everything is slowed down in the industry right now because of COVID. And now the, you know, there are strikes. So everything is a little wonky right now, but it is in the works. It is in the works. I, and, I, and, you know, I hope it comes through.
1: Same here. Same here. That's uh, incredibly exciting. I wasn't expecting to hear that there was something in the works. I'm really hoping that happens for
0: you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Me too.
1: <laughs> Talking about, um, uh, a funny thing you said was uh, how you're not like Stephen King. You're, you're not at the level of that uh, fame and glory or whatever. Um, and one question I have is why do you think um, these novels are not as popular as they should be, in my opinion? And when I say they should be, it's because of um, when I chose the zombie genre, I knew the immense popularity of the zombie genre. I knew the millions of people who watched The Walking Dead, Zombieland, as you said, Black Summer, the new Netflix series. Um there, it was popular enough that The Walking Dead made novelizations that are purchased by um, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people. And um, it was a bit discouraging because I read these books, and uh, in my opinion, yours is much better than theirs. And uh, I was expecting The Walking Dead to be a lot better uh, than than it was, but but it wasn't. So, do you feel like? There's kind of a cap on how literary you can make um, a genre like zombies. That's kind of like a mainstream zo- uh, genre. And do you think the um, literary aspect of yours is like less appealing to the masses?
0: Um, I I think I think my the yes, well the the these books are less appealing to a wider audience for a few reasons. Right, I I, I think one. They, they I, I, I insert challenges in there that that uh, you know if I wanted them to be more widely appealing, I wouldn't for example there, there are no quotation marks right and that throws a lot of people off I can you know, I can I can tell from the responses I get on Amazon reviews. that is a convention of the southern Gothic genre, which is not read by by a, a lot of people right? And so simple things like that kind of signal to audiences, perhaps like this is not for wide beach read consumption. You know, <laughs> um, th- you know, the language in the book is sometimes f- overly flowery and ornate and, and uh, challenging in that way. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, I, I could, I could, make it more spare. And, you know, and I think that would appeal to a wider audience. Um, The ending is deeply anticlimactic and, you know, and I think a lot of people made a lot of people angry. Right. So I think there are things in there that I really like, um, but that, that are not widely appealing. Um, And that does keep a a larger audience uh, away from them, but you, you know, I, I can only do what I can do. And, and there are plenty of people out there who can, who can write for wider audiences. Um, and, and good for them. They're, they're doing well at it, but
1: yeah,
0: I really, you know, I, I can only write the kind of books I can write. And so, um yeah. I mean, also the other problem is my books have trouble selling because I'm a, I'm a hard person to brand. I don't really have a brand. My first novel was was a contemporary girl's school novel. There was nothing supernatural about it. My second novel was a post-apocalyptic Southern Gothic zombie novel. I mean, it, w- it was deeply problematic for my agent, my editor. You know, These were people who were trying to brand me as a writer and I wasn't helping it. And so the fact that I'm all over the place in terms of my genre, the fact that I'm all over the place in terms of my writing style, does not help me become the kind of writer who is who is consistent enough that that audiences know what to expect with everything, right? Like with Stephen King, if you like one book, you'll probably like the other ones because they're pretty consistent in how they're written. With my books, you could like the one about the girls' school and pick up the one about the zombie apocalypse and think, what is this? I, I don't want this. I wanted another one of those, right? So yeah. that's yeah. one of my problems, I think, with, you know, with developing an audience.
1: Yeah, probably a problem for your agent, but as a reader, I think the versatility is cool. And about the um, the Gothic uh, genre trope of not having quotation marks, I think uh, as a writer, if you write in that style, it's very, um, it's a good practice. Because if, you, if your dialogue isn't good enough, that without quotations, people can't tell that it's dialogue, you probably should write a bit better. You should probably edit it a bit more. You know
0: what I mean? I think that's a really good point, right? It does create these challenges where you have to be able to, you have to be sure that people are going to read that as dialogue. And so when you're writing it, if you're not writing with quotation marks, it's exactly what you're saying. It's a good, it's a good writerly challenge. How do I make sure that this comes across as dialogue? Yeah, really nice.
1: Very cool. And when I asked the question about what what it's like to be a writer in the 21st century, yeah, you had a really great answer. And even the answers you gave me in my emails, I was quite surprised to hear them because in, even in college, our professors talk about the death of print publications, the death of uh, the literary magazines. So I was wondering if um, you had insight into the process of getting published and if it's changed now that we're in 2021. But your answer was quite um, archaic, I would say, where it's, it's still the matter of you should probably find an agent if you're going to get serious about publishing novels. So that's still the case, you'd say, in your experience?
0: Definitely. If you, if you're going for print publication, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, there are other ways to, to get your novel out there. You can self-publish, you can, you know, you can go on Kickstarter and have someone fund your novels, right? I mean, there are lots of ways you can get them out there, but if you want to, if you want to go for traditional print publication, you got to go through the traditional routes actually. And that hasn't changed that much. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, unfortunately, and, it, and it is a brutal process. It's a brutal process.
1: I'm, uh, I think it's that's a bittersweet realization for me. I'm kind of, um, it's bitter in the sense that it's, it's still going to be difficult for me to get published or for anyone to get published, but it's sweet in the sense that this part of the industry still survives. So when you, if you ever do get published by a, a traditional publisher, there's a different sense of, gratification or a different sense of recognition than, of course, just publishing yourself or publishing it on Amazon or things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are I mean, it's just like with music, you know, there there are so many avenues that you could take independently that that, that might give you the readership you're looking for. But but also, if you want to, you know, if you want to produce music under a major label and have it distributed to, you know, major places, then like in the music industry, you've got to go through the the traditional outlets. I think the traditional outlet is still there in addition to a bunch of other outlets. So you kind of want to you kind of figure figure out what avenue is best for you. It was never that important to me. It was never so important to me to be published that um, that I had enough wherewithal or interest in trying to self-publish. I just thought, well, I'll I'll put these things out there. If I can get an agent, fine. If not, then I just won't publish at all. (laughs) So for me, it was just like a kind of an all or nothing thing, you know. And I was perfectly happy for it to be nothing, and it will probably come back to nothing, and which is fine. Gotcha, gotcha.
1: Well, thanks very much for your time today, Josh. That was uh, all the questions I had. I was just wondering if you had any last minute advice for any aspiring novelists such as myself that are still trying and failing, you know, to make it in 2021.
0: I would really say, continue to fail, fail a lot. Fail. (laughs) I mean, that's really what writing is about. You know, I, I have students of writing who say, who say, I'm gonna turn this in, but it sucks. And I say, it, it all sucks. It everything we write sucks. It sucks. It always sucks, you know, until you work on it enough that you think, all right, maybe this is okay, right? The, the whole process is such a messy one, and it's so fraught with rejection and disaster and disappointment that what you have to do as an individual is, is just find those moments that you that you that you appreciate and that you see as beautiful. You know, find that moment where you write a line and you think, oh, that is a great line. I am so proud of that line. And then luxuriate in that line. Go take a bath in that line. You know, (laughs) you love that line. Write it a few more times. And I, you know, I think that's the best way to write. And if something happens with it, great. But at least if nothing happens with it, you've got that line. And that's, that's the important thing.
1: Cool. Thank you. Thank you very much, Josh. Definitely inspiring uh, for me specifically. And where can our viewers uh, reach you? For, do you have any social media you want to uh, plug here? Or do you have a, a new upcoming novel you want people to be on the lookout for?
0: I'm always working on something. Who knows? I'm working on something now that will either be my next published novel or another rejected novel, in which case you won't ever read it. But um, you can always reach me at my website, JoshuaGaylord.com, And you can send me an email through there. I, I answer all my emails. We're on Facebook. I'm on Facebook too. And so you can uh, find me there. Um, But yeah, I'm always happy to hear from people.
1: All right. Thanks very much for your time today. We'll talk to you later.
0: My pleasure. Thank you. Cool.
1: Thank you for watching another Hackernoon podcast. Please be sure to check out Joshua's work on joshuagaylord.com and follow him on Facebook. If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe and follow Hackernoon on social media for future episodes. Thanks and see you next time.